This is an AMI podcast. Hello, I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI Audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to The Pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Winter solstice is knocking. The skies are getting dark, but being lit up by all of our activity. Welcome to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. We've got all sorts of interesting information with some great gift ideas as well. Thanks to Miss Lily. Dave Brown is going to join us. I'll catch up to you in the cabin. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily. Winter holidays, celebrations. (laughs) Yeah, with so much talk about like exterior lighting and winter solstice, got me thinking about light pollution. Okay. Winter solstice happens each year on December 21st. Yeah. It's the longest night of the year for people who live in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, it's kind of like a cup half empty or half full. Some people say it's the longest night. Other people say it's the start of the sun returning. (laughs) So what do we do? Do we install outdoor lighting displays to light up the sky? Yep, I do that. Yeah, you do. (laughs) The star. The star. Did you know that Christmas trees got their start as a pagan ritual? Is that right? Yeah. There were people in Northern Europe who believed that to get the sun to begin its return, they needed to cut down evergreen trees, set them on fire, and then roll them down the hill as some sort of offering to their pagan gods. Well, why did we stop doing that? That sounds like fun. I know. (laughs) The Romans had them switch the tradition over to become part of the celebration of the birth of Jesus. That's funny. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my mom had these little candle holders that clipped onto the branches of the tree yeah. and then on christmas eve she'd light the uh, the candle so you'd have these burning candles clipped to your tree everywhere not a fire hazard at all uh, our world is so full of artificial lights I, I don't even know if i've ever experienced true darkness i totally get what you're saying we're really into lights yeah well whether it's inside the house at night with all the different devices that glow in the dark like clocks yeah. And especially outside at night with street lights yeah. or like nearby towns and cities. No matter which way I look, there's like always a little light. Yeah, yeah, yeah I believe that. I'm sorry you don't get to experience that. Even when we go camping, there's always light coming from somewhere. I'm not talking about like our campfire or the moon. The no. opportunity for me to watch like meteors streaking across this night sky or few and far between yeah there's just like a lot of artificial light blocking them out according to a recent book written by paul bogard called the end of night searching for natural darkness in an age of artificial light eight out of ten children born in the united states will never know a sky dark enough to see the milky way with the naked eye are you supposed to see that we are at one end of it so you can look back and see the rest of it Well, Bogart says all life evolved to the steady rhythm of bright days and dark nights. He thinks we have become afraid of the dark. Bogart says that now when we feel the closeness of nightfall, our first reaction is to reach for a light switch. Yeah. Well, according to the World Health Organization, they now classify working the night shift as a probable human carcinogen. Huh. 
the American Medical Association has given unanimous support for light pollution and glare reduction efforts. Turns out our bodies need darkness to produce the hormone melatonin, which keeps certain cancers from developing. And our bodies need darkness to sleep because that's the way we evolved. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Well, Bogart says sleep disorders have been linked to diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and depression. And that research now suggests one main cause of not getting enough sleep is the fact that we have lights on around us far too often when we should be in the dark. Well, they say a lot of people haven't been getting enough sleep over the last year. Yeah, I'm sure. Paul Bogart also points out in his book that the rest of the world depends on darkness as well, including nocturnal species of birds, insects, mammals, fish, and reptiles. Things that come out at night. Yeah. <laughs> Examples include like over 400 species of birds that migrate mm -hmm. at night in North America, the sea turtles that come ashore to lay their eggs, and the bats that save farmers billions in pest control, and the moth that pollinate 80% of the world's flora. That's a lot. I did not know that moths were pollinators. Bogard says ecological light pollution is like the bulldozer of the night, wrecking habitats and disrupting ecosystems that were several billion years in the making. That's a little disturbing. Bogard claims that all over the world our nights are growing brighter. Apparently in North America and Western Europe, the amount of light in the sky increases an average of about 6% every year. That's a lot. Computer images of the United States at night based on NASA photographs show that what was a very dark country as recently as the 1950s is now nearly covered with a blanket of light. Even worse, much of this light is wasted energy, which means more ways we are contributing to climate change, never mind the money being wasted. I can only imagine what the astronauts see when they look I down. Know. There is hope, though. Yeah? Bogard says many cities and towns across North America and Europe are changing to LED streetlights, which <laughs> offer dramatic possibilities for controlling wasted light. Even Paris, the famed city of lights, is turning off its monument's lightings after 1am. Now I feel a little bad for putting those lasers on the front of the house. And we have a timer on there, so they don't stay on all night. And if the sky's clear, we can get out our telescope. I'd like that. Yeah. Thanks, Lily. Mm-hmm. And here's some more information about lights in the night sky from an episode of Now with Dave Brown. Uh, in May 2019, SpaceX launched its first batch of 60 Starlink communication satellites designed to provide global internet access. Last week, SpaceX launched another of its Falcon rockets, bringing the total number of satellites to 700, and has planned to launch rockets every two weeks until over 12,000 of these satellites are orbiting the Earth. These satellite constellations have surprised astronomers and lay people with their brightness in the night sky. Joining us now to bring both an outdoor and vision loss perspective to this emerging issue is our regular environmental contributor, Lawrence Gunther. And Lawrence joins us on the show now. And of course, Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can hear Fridays on AMI-audio at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. How are you, my friends? I'm doing well, Dave. So, Lawrence, let's start with the uh, pros and the cons. What are we looking at in terms of these new satellites that are being deployed? Well, on the pro side, we're talking about broadband internet access in, you know, the 80% of Canada that hasn't been well served by the internet providers, right? I mean, if you live in a city, you have really good internet access if you can afford it. You know, mm. if you have the uh, wherewithal to afford it or you go into one of these internet cafes. Well, if you live outside a city, 
you know, there's a good chance you're not hooked up to the uh, to the backbone of the internet, and your good chance you're not getting cellular coverage or any of that stuff that gives you that internet coverage. On the bad side, you know, 12,000 satellites in low Earth orbit, which means closer to the ground, which means they're visible from the ground. You know, 12,000 satellites is a lot of sparkles in the uh, in the night sky, right? Oh, yeah. So if visually, it's visually, it's it's not pleasant to look at, apparently. And more importantly, for all the large telescopes we're uh, deploying and that are being built to this day, we're talking 30-meter-long telescopes, my friend. Oof. Radio telescopes, infrared telescopes, all manner telescopes. These are huge telescopes that can't be shot into space like the Hubble, right? I mean, that's an expensive process. So it's easier to keep them on ground, put them in dark areas of the uh, country, on mountaintops and things like that, away from cities, and, and maintain them and operate them from ground. But if they're, you know, if you're looking up and all you're seeing is sparkly satellites shooting past, that's a problem. Lawrence, you are an outdoorsman. Uh, you enjoy probably the peace and serenity of getting out uh, of the city and away from maybe some of the modern day connections that exist. Although on the flip side, we know that internet is indeed, uh, or at least is becoming more and more of a human right. We're certainly learning that in these uh, Corona times. But is there a, you know, kind of an issue where maybe we do want to keep some remote spaces remote? I'm not talking about this corridor between Montreal and Ottawa. That's like a black hole <laughs> where like you go an hour between those two cities, two of the biggest cities in the country, and you can't get good internet access. But I'm talking about, you know, remote areas in northern Ontario that are basically kept for, you know, hunting and fishing. Is it a bit wild to be thinking, well, let's clutter up the sky to get those places internet access? Access? You know, if you look at the socioeconomic sustainability research they've done on rural, remote, and northern communities, if you don't have good high-speed internet connectivity, the chances of your community and the people who live in that community having the opportunity to go to school, to work, to sustain their families, to earn an income, to educate themselves are drastically reduced, right? So that's why, you know, communities more than 200 kilometers away from major cities because that's how far internet providers like Rogers and Bell and the other ones will go out maybe 200 kilometers away from a big city and service those satellite communities. But if you're beyond that, the chance of you having connectivity is really low. Mm. Now, the government has been working on this with broadband initiatives, with incentivizing research, with, you know, speculating and threatening regulations of the telecom providers that move their services outside the cities. But in reality, you know, micro towers that serve cellular communications, they have to have a line of sight and they're only good for maybe 15 miles and then you're over the horizon. Right. So, you know, you've got to put these things up and then you throw a mountain in front of that or a valley and, then, and it's gone. So, you know, and then you've got satellites like your Telesat Canada satellites. Well, that's great when the satellites over top of you, but these satellites are super high and the up speed and download speed on them is really slow. So, yeah, you can send a text message, but you know, never mind trying to do some video Skype. I mean, Dave, you and I tried it the other day. I was up in northern <laughs> Quebec, right? It was like, yeah, that's right. So, you know, in the name of allowing people, you know, providing that equitable access to people who live outside cities, right, who live in, in the vast majority of Canada, this is, a, this is a, a problem solver. This is a game changer. You know, Elon Musk and his SpaceX program and deploying these satellites is going to make a huge difference. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's visual pollution. I hear you. It, you know, and maybe as uh, blind low vision people, we could just say, well, who cares? 
and, and look insensitive. But I think the socioeconomic argumentation and, you know, First Nations self-sufficiency and all the rest of the people who live outside Canada, outside the cities of Canada, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win in so many ways, in so many ways. So let's let's talk about that space clutter for a moment. All those satellites uh, zipping around in what soon could be in the thousands. What are the ramifications there of having that many satellites up in the sky? Maybe for people, uh, for those who are not just uh, astronomers. Well, there, there's the you know understanding what's going on in outer space. Number one, you know, if we can't look with telescopes without having interference, that's a problem. There is the uh, visual pollution. You know, people come from all over the world. I mean, we have a thriving tourism business from Asia coming over here to spend time in northern Canada mm-hmm. in the winter. Who else wants to go to northern Canada in the winter for tourism, right? I mean, you know, it's not exactly like uh, Breckenridge or, you know, some of these famous ski resorts. It's not BAM. Yeah, you know, we're true. talking northern <laughs> parts of Canada. There's not a lot of, you know, there's sled dogging and stargazing. And being cold time, and, and layering up and putting on parkas. <laughs> you and I were up there. I mean, we talked to those sled dog providers, right, in the Yukon. I mean, they've got Asian people coming up there who, to see the northern lights and maybe uh, conceive a baby under the northern lights, you know, mm. for good luck. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all sparkly with satellites. Is it going to be that attractive? Uh, it's hard to say. And then and then there's just the whole matter of, of space debris, right? I mean, all these satellites, they're they don't decommission themselves necessarily. So at some point they, they die, they have a lifespan, they don't last forever. And at some point there's going to be so much junk orbiting the earth that it's going to become a bit of a, uh, a problem. You know, if you want to have space flights, if you want to have low earth orbiting um, transportation and to and from space stations, the moon or whatever, you, you got to start dodging all this crap, all this broken down crap that we've, you know, set in motion around the Earth, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, we're uh, we're done polluting the oceans. Now we're just polluting our outer rims, <laughs> our, our inner rims of uh, the space. Uh, Lawrence, SpaceX has figured out, like, sending these rockets up. Are they working on sorting out, maybe cleaning some of the clutter? There, there was uh, an attempt made by uh, uh, the uh, EU. You know, they have their own sort of NASA kind of thing going on over there in Europe. And they went up and took out a satellite. I think it had a, some sort of nuclear power source, so they needed to clean that up before it banged into something or, or came through and landed in someone's backyard. It, 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 to take out a piece of the satellite, it was a $100 million initiative, right? So, you know, that's one chunk of one satellite. You know, SpaceX is going to launch 12,000. How many, how many other thousands of satellites have been up there? And then if they break and bump into something and fall apart, then you've got all the junk and the pieces flying around. And then it just doesn't, you know, rot and dissolve and soak into the ground like, uh, you know, like we're used to. You know, when we see stuff on the ground, it just totally disappears, deteriorates. That stuff can last forever. Mm. Yeah, so, it, 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 you know, what do you do? Harp, they've talked about harpooning this stuff, you know, sending ships up with harpoons and they harpoon <laughs> satellites and reel them in. <laughs> so they start, you know, shooting them with lasers and blasting them with cannons. And, you know, there's all sorts of ideas. But uh, in reality, probably what they're going to need to do is, is, is they have to save some of the um, fuel so that they can drive them into the atmosphere and hope you know burn them up right, right on re-entry. That, right. That's sort of yeah. But there's no rules. There's no rules for any of that right now. Uh, the new Wild West outer space. I love it. 
time for the bucket list. Hey, Lily, what did you find out about our bucket list destination for today, the Gatineau Park? According to the National Parks website, you can experience the joys of winter in a ready-to-camp unit in the heart of Gatineau Park. Cabins, yurts, and four-season tents are located close to the trails just a few kilometers from the parking lot. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I know. Enjoy an early morning ski or snowshoe on one of the largest winter trail networks in North America. From what I'm told, you need to book these things way in advance because as soon as it opens up for booking, they get snapped up. In winter, 13 ready-to-camp units in Lac Philippe, La Grenoble, and Taylor Lake offer more comfort and amenities for campers. Nice. Each unit includes bunk beds, tables and chairs, cooking items, solar-powered light, wood stove, refrigerator or cooler, cooking service, and parking for one vehicle. They're located between 2.6 and 5.6 kilometers from the site. That's the rub, right? You yeah. don't park next to your tent. You you have to walk in like two and a half to, to six kilometers, towing all your stuff on a sled, and you get there, and then you spend the night. No electricity, but a wood stove, and they supply all the firewood. That's cool. Lily, I put our name <laughs> in there. We're hopefully going to get one this year. Oh, really? Okay, but what about this? According to the website, raccoons, black bears, and other wild animals in the parks are easily attracted by the smells at the campgrounds. Yeah. I think they're cute, but human food harms their health, creates dependencies on humans, and increases their aggressiveness. Help keep them away from campsites by following these seven rules during your stay. Number one, store all food and any other items that have an odor in the trunk of your vehicle. This includes shampoo, toothpaste, and beauty products. Well, that makes sense. Number two, keep any garbage in your trunk until you are ready to dispose of it in the waste receptacles. Make sure to do so before nightfall. I guess, you know, if you're going to leave stuff in your car, you just take what you need. Don't bring all the smelly stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, number three, close windows at your campsite before leaving for an outing, including those in trailers and pop-top roofs. Mm-hmm. Four, à la pêche lake, hang food, garbage, and other items with the lifting pole provided at each canoe camping site. This is a requirement. They must have special problems with their bears, bears. and raccoons. Number five, <laughs> do not eat inside your tent. Yeah. Number yeah. six, clean dishes promptly after use. And number seven, never feed wildlife. Very good tips. Summer and winter, all season tips that you want to be practicing for sure. I mean, you think about it, right? Animals live in this pristine wilderness environment. It's always getting scrubbed clean with rain and wind. You know, we're used to smelly indoor environments. We're so used to all these smells. We don't even think about it when we head outdoors, how much smell we're bringing with us. Most animals have better smell receptors than we do. Lewis, his smell senses are 10,000 to 100,000 times better than ours. Wow. Thanks, Lily. No problem. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters. Hey. hey, what are you going to get me for Christmas? All right. So the Sierra Club just published their 21 gift suggestions for the Adventure Inclined. 
Aww. I picked out a bunch of gift ideas that I thought you might appreciate and a couple suggestions as gifts for me as well, uh-huh. just in case you and mom haven't finished your shopping. Okay, okay. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I, I hear the wink. So this is for you. All right. Uh, give selfie snappers and texters the gift of peace of mind via Hangtime's Koala, which is $25, a rugged, durable smartphone harness. Just clip it to pack or person. Created for climbers, skiers, fly fishers, hikers, and anyone else who doesn't want to worry about their phone tumbling out of their pocket and ruining an adventure by shattering. I really like this. I mean, all the time I'm using my phone for orientation, right? I've got the compass. I've got GPS on there. I always want to have that phone handy. This is the perfect tool. And for me, the original wearable sleeping bag was invented high in the mountains of Chile and designed to provide campers and home loungers with maximum mobility, versatility, and coziness. The lightweight silk bag, which is $100, boasts a weather-resistant shell and lightweight insulation. So this is a walking sleep bag, so it's got leg holes. You'll never get out of that thing. No, I won't. And I know you can never get enough of these. Socks are in fact a great gift. Basic Revolution is an annual socks box starting at $89 that allows you to send loved ones a box of 7 or 15 pairs. Choose from many options including organic cotton and bamboo varieties. Afterward, gifties can send back any whole ridden undonated clothing that'll fit in the box. Shipping label included, and basic revolutions will recycle or upcycle those old unmentionables. It's our kind of two-punch present. I like that. For me, ready to upgrade the camper in your life who are still using those limp little nothing burger camping pillows. The what? The Hest Pillow, $79, was designed for those who crave and need comfort and support in the great outdoors. A $79 camping pillow. Oh, wow. It's built for all-terrain travel. It's compacts into a dirt and water-resistant, machine-washable zipper cover. The Hest's curved shape contour to head and neck and it was designed for breathable airflow so tent dwellers can maintain an optimal sleeping temperature. Get two. So this is for you. Give your favorite outdoors person the gift of safety and yourself the gift of peace of mind with the Welly Adventure Kit, which is $25. A fashionable first aid kit that includes many various sized bandages. A roll of rope, wound prep pads, antibiotics, hydrocortisone, ibuprofen, and more. First aid kits aren't a present, they're a necessity. Here's something you and mom might like. High Camps Flasks, Firelight, 750 Flask, which is $125. It's deceptive in its stainless steel sleekness. It's actually a three-piece bar set composed of two small double-walled tumblers and a 750 milliliter vacuum insulated flask enough to fit an entire fifth of your gifties favorite spirit or a full bottle of wine. But 125 US just to have a cold martini at the campsite? (laughs) Why are you bringing martinis to a campsite? I like it nevertheless, but I'll never own it. So for me, got some gifties who can rock a novelty t-shirt. We're partial to Vardigan's Keep Going, an outdoor collection which contains a range of truly artful, truly 
irreverent homages to getting away and exploring. Its super soft tees are made from eco-friendly cotton and prints are made with water-based inks. We like this only slightly trippy mushroom shirt, which is $42, titled The Original Internet. The original internet, It's eh? a depiction of the first social network, the miles of mushroom mycelium running beneath the forest floor. You know, they say it's these fungi that connect the trees to each other and other species. So different species of trees are all connected to yeah. each other. We're going to cover this on another day, but it's fascinating. Yeah, I know it is. So for you, yeah. make sure gifties remember to eat out in the wilds too. The portable packable flat pack grill and fire pit. Ooh, yeah, baby. It's just 50 bucks from UCO Gearways. Folds down to less than 1.5 inches thick and stows away inside a durable canvas case when not in use. Then when you're done grilling, you can turn it into a campfire. So for me, yeah. this year, the Parks Fanatics at Parks Project teamed up with the Sierra Club to create tie-dyed sweats. Wow. Those are so popular wow. now. Each piece is unique from organic dyes. The gift of this unisex hoodie, which is $78, might just be perfect for all the groovy parks appreciating people on your list. You would be the grooviest camper. Oh, that. I already am. For this is for you. The X-Brew Coffee Dripper, which is $22 from Sea to Summit, provides the gift of pour-over brew on the trail. Hmm. No wasteful paper filters necessary due to its reusable stainless steel filter. This collapsible coffee dripper folds down to a 20 millimeter height so it won't take up much pack real estate. So this is for me. Boots that look as good on the trail as they do at brunch, striking both technical and fashionable notes, makes her a pretty great gift to begin with. But the real magic of Alice plus Whittle's weekend boots, which are $200, is in the details. These vegan boots are made from 95% repurposed marine plastics collected by fishermen, making them water resistant and free from virgin plastic. Wow. Yeah, wow. Plastic boots. But you know what? They can weave that stuff pretty good these days. It mm -hmm. still breathes. It yeah. still breathes. So you're, it's not like shoving your feet into plastic bags. I have a pair of jeans made out of plastic bottles found from the bottom of the ocean. I have a raincoat made yeah. out of 54 plastic bottles. They are temperature controlled thanks to a cozy lining of recycled synthetic fleece Vegan glue binds the boots' uppers and soles, and its anti-slip sole is made with sustainable 45% recycled rubber. So this is for you. Mm -hmm. Got a loved one whose happiness directly correlates with how far off the grid they happen to be? Mm -hmm. The 4-ounce Summerwear Satellite Hotspot, which is $300, communicators will pair with their mobile devices to provide SMS-slash-weather-slash-tracking-slash-SOS, ideal for camping. I love it. You know, they have these satellite communicators used for, you know, alerting rescue or where your position is. But this is a combination that you can use with your cell phone. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. The device features the most affordable satellite data plans on the market. And thanks to its smart routing capabilities, the somewhere can actively detect and default the cellular and Wi-Fi networks when in range thus preserving valuable satellite data. It's simple to use and lent us maximal peace of mind on a recent backcountry adventure. I think that and the uh, cell phone holder are two pretty cool pieces of technology for sure. So for me, trail runners and hikers will most definitely appreciate the gift of the latest rechargeable lightweight headlight model from BioLite mm. with 750 lumens 
pass-through charging capabilities and eight different lighting modes that enable users to see and be seen. The headlight, $75, helped provide near-infinite run times. Plus, its uniquely slim front profile keeps this headlamp comfortably situated, no bouncing or even the sweatiest of foreheads. Uh, it's a rechargeable. It doesn't have those AAA battery types. I know. That's oh, great. Yeah. And for you, the amazing Ombras sunglasses are polarized, virtually indestructible shades designed for mountain biking, skiing, fishing, and other outdoor endeavors. For every pair sold, Ombras collaborates with the Eden Reforestation Project to plant 20 mangrove trees, thus sequestering more carbon than it takes to produce and deliver a single pair. We're partial to the class circular frame dolomite style, which is $140, which comes with small built-in visors to reduce peripheral glare in the mountain or in the water. I like that. You know, I'm all about eye protection from the sun and from sticks and things hitting your eyes. Those sound really nice. Hey, thanks, Lily. No problem. Thanks, everyone, for making 2020 a special launch for the new podcast, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Winter's here, but there's still lots to do outdoors. We'll catch up to you in the new year. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.